Hello, friends. Welcome to Emmanuel Cares, Casting Nets, and Raised with Jesus podcast. Yes, three podcasts hosting the same content, wonderful content, as we are looking through the book of Job together in an online way. You don't need a Bible sheet of any kind. Just sit back, listen to me read from the Evangelical Heritage Version, and discover together how we can find peace through life's unpredictable paths. We're back at Job, Job chapters 8 to 10, and we are still in a conversation between Job and his friends, and this is the first of the conversations, the first round, so we are being introduced to each, excuse me, each one of the, we are being introduced to each one of the friends, and so let's get, let's get right at it. So grab your favorite beverage, I like coffee, join me in a sip. stuff or whatever you've got. It's awesome to have this with you today uh, and to be in God's Word as we're looking at the book of Job. Uh, Job's friends today uh, is Bildad. This is the first time we meet Bildad. He's called Bildad the Shuhite. We don't know what Shuhite means. Perhaps it means that he is a descendant of Keturah, who is the second wife of Abraham. Abraham had a wife after Sarah passed away and he had children it sounds like one of his children, but we don't have an absolute certainty that this is uh, one of his children. So, Bildad comes on the scene. Uh, what makes Bildad different than Eliphaz? Eliphaz is one where it, it seems like it appeals to his age and wisdom, how long he's been here on earth. Uh, Bildad appeals to traditions. Uh, what have What has been passed down to us from the past? And what has been passed down to us from the past, is the natural knowledge of God, which isn't going to be comforting for Job, as it isn't comforting for anybody uh, as well, that God punishes the sinner and and blesses those who keep his law. That's two-sided covenant idea. Again, you are free to pause. I give you my permission. You can pause whenever you want, take a sip of your favorite beverage. I'm going to have to take sips of my favorite beverage as I'm recording this for you. We're looking at the first seven verses of chapter 8. Then Bildad the Shuhite responded, How long will you say such things? How long will the words of your mouth be like a blustery wind? Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he handed them over to the consequences of their rebellion. But if you eagerly seek God and plead for compassion from the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, and even now he will rouse himself on your behalf, and he will restore your rightful dwelling place, then, though your beginnings were small, your final days will be very great. Blustery wind is a play on words, because Job said, uh, you guys are treating me like I'm speaking to you as a wind. It's, it's not affecting you. You're not listening to me. And Bildad says, that's right. Uh, your words are like a blustery wind. They're not worth um, our attention. So right off the bat, there's no compliment to, Bo- to Job as Eliphaz gave a compliment. It is just right off the bat, uh, Job, uh, I know what's better for you than you do. And his main point, does God pervert justice? Isn't God's justice always the same? Doesn't he uh, punish the evildoer and and uh, 
reward those who follow him. And then Bildad says, here's the great sin. Here's your great sin. He's fishing. He doesn't know for sure because Job doesn't respond to it at all. Um, or Job, actually, I shouldn't say that. Job does respond because he defends himself. But the main accusation, Job, is you raised your children incorrectly. And it's because of how you raised those children, Job, that that's why they perished. Their sin as perished. And so uh, Eliphaz, you could make the case with maybe insinuating that there's something to do with his children. That's why that happened to them. But Bildad just comes right out and and says it in verse uh, 4, when your children sinned against him. So here's a case of Bildad blatantly not being right. We don't know whether it was the sin of the children that caused this. In fact, I shouldn't say that. We do know it wasn't the, uh, the sins of the children that caused their death. It is because there is a contest between God and Satan. Verses 5 and 6, you have if... If you eagerly seek God, if you are pure and upright, again, you can look at that and say, well, maybe he is trying to be comforting to Job. But looking at the rest of this, it sounds like he is accusing Job. Job, you're not eagerly seeking God. You're not pleading for compassion for the to the Almighty. The only good thing that Bildad says here is that of God's great mercy and God's uh, grace and forgiveness. That's really the only redeeming quality of Bildad's statement here is that God is a God who forgives. If you um, confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive you all your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. You know, John says that thousands of years later. Bildad gets that part right. The part that he gets wrong is that, Job, you have to do some um, confessing. You did some great thing, some great sin that now God is is, uh, punishing you for. And Bildad now will go to uh, history and tradition. He says, yes, ask the previous generations and consider the discoveries of their fathers because we were born only yesterday and know nothing. I like that. Born yesterday and know nothing. Our days on earth are nothing but a shadow. Aren't our ancestors the ones who should teach you and inform you? The ones who brought forth words from their hearts? Does papyrus grow tall where there is no marsh? Do reeds thrive where there is no water? While they are still growing and uncut, they can wither faster than any other plant. This is the way it will be for all those who forget God. The hope of the godless man perishes. His source of confidence is fragile. He trusts in something as fragile as a spider's web. He leans on his web, but it does not support him. He grasps it, but it does not hold him up. He is a thriving plant, flourishing in the sunshine, spreading its root over the garden. It wraps its roots around the heaps of rocks. It finds a home among the stones. But if it is uprooted from its place, the place disowns it, saying, I have never seen you. Yes, the only good thing that comes from this situation is that from the dust another plant sprouts. Certainly God does not reject a blameless man or strengthen the hand of evildoers. He will again fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with a joyful shout. Your enemies will be clothed with shame and the tents of the wicked will be no more. Again, uh, Bildad is addressing the justice of God. God always punishes the evildoer, and the way of the righteous uh, will always be blessed. God does, in his justice, he will reward the believer, but in heaven. 
here on earth? No guarantees. God will judge the evildoer, the sinner, in, in hell forever. But here on earth, no guarantees. So Bildad is basically saying God's he is trying to tie your material circumstances, your earthly circumstances, with God's favor or disfavor. And this is the theology of glory. You uh, get up to God. You do certain things. God will come down to you and bless you. Uh, you do the good things. God will reward you. That's the theology of glory. The theology of the cross says how God feels about you, nothing to do with your circumstances. Does God love you? Where do you find that? The evidence of that? In your life or in Jesus and the cross? In Jesus and the cross. That's where we see God's great love for you. That's how you can have confidently say God loves you despite your earthly circumstances because this is God, the greatest expression of God's love for you, sending his own son on the cross to take away your sin. This is the greatest expression on the cross is also uh, God's justice. We see it in its full-fledged. Is God angry with me? I'll go look at the cross because at the cross I see that God pours out all of his anger on Jesus. And Jesus says, it is finished. The ledger has been signed. Uh, every payment for every a sin has been paid for through Jesus' suffering and his death. His resurrection is proof of that, that God was, is okay with that. Otherwise, if uh, if Jesus only paid for 99.9% of sin, he would still be in the grave because God would say, well, he's got to pay. The soul who sins is the one who will die. But because Jesus was completely innocent in his uh, in his sufferings and his death, uh, he is raised from the dead. He has paid for the price for that we deserve to pay of God's wrath and judgment and and uh, punishment and death, paid that in full so that we don't have to pay it. All right, so back to Bildad. Um, what else can I say? Let's just move on then. Uh, Job responds to Bildad. Then Job responds, of course I know that this is true. <laughs> Uh, of course, Job knows that there is justice, that God will, uh, the unbeliever will eventually have to face God, and the believer will eventually have God's wonderful blessings. Um, but what do you do when it doesn't, what do you do when it seems like God has made a mistake? Is there an appeals court for God? And that is nine and ten. Because Job is looking at his circumstances, and Job's mistake is to look at his circumstances and say, uh, God is against me. God has uh, made a determination about my soul that is unfair. Okay, let's keep reading. Of course, I know that this is true, but how can a man be justified before God? How can a man be declared not guilty before God? If someone wants to argue with God, if he could not refute one charge out of a thousand, God has a wise heart and a great power. Who can resist God and come out of it unharmed? Yeah, you don't, you don't go up against the big guy. You're not going to come out of that um, um, unharmed. God removes mountains from their position, and they don't even realize it. He overturns mountains in his anger. He shakes the earth off its foundation. He causes its pillars to quake he speaks to the sun and it does not rise, and he seals up the stars. 
He alone stretches out the heavens. He uh, treads on the crests of the sea. He made the bear, the Orion and Pleiades. Those are constellations. So what constellations they are referring to is is kind of iffy because our constellations are from uh, um, from jo- in Job's perspective from the future. So how how they determine the constellations in the sky before the constellations that we are familiar with is unknown. He does great things that are beyond investigation. He does miracles that are too many to be counted. Though he passes by me, I do not see him. He moves past me, and I do not detect him. If he snatches something away, who can make him bring it back? (laughs) Who can say to him, what are you doing? Uh, God does not hold back his anger. Even Rahab's helpers bow down beneath him. How much less, then, will I be able to answer him? Uh, Rahab. So there's a picture of Rahab. I got that. Here's Job. Rahab is a sea monster. So again, we've got our Greek sea monsters that we're familiar with. This is before that. Rahab well, uh, is an idea of what kind of a sea hap. So some sort of sea monster that uh, uh, that God is in control of. If he's in control of the great sea monsters, whatever they might be, then uh, um, how can you, as a mere mortal, hope to be in God's presence and and uh, receive a hearing. Verse 14. How much less then will I be able to answer him? I want to match words with him, but even if I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I can only plead to my judge for grace. If I called and he responded to me, I do not believe that he would listen to my voice. With a violent storm, he would crush me, and he would inflict many wounds on me for no reason. He would not allow me to catch my breath. Instead, he would fill me with bitter experiences. If it is a question of strength, he definitely is the strong one. If it is a question of jurisdiction, who can summon him? Even if I am righteous, my mouth will still condemn me. Even if I am blameless, it would still pronounce me crooked. Although I am blameless, I cannot evaluate myself. I reject my own life. Uh, he Again, he wants to take God to court. He wants to put God on the stand and have God answer his question, why? Why are you treating me as if I'm a guilty person? Why are you treating me as if I am a, a huge sinner that needs to repent? Because Job does admit, I, sometimes when we read Job and all of the blameless, blameless talk that he talks about, we get this idea that maybe he's a little bit arrogant. But if you are talking to a sincere Christian who said, who evaluates themselves according to the the law of God, and who confesses their sins to God, um, there that's what Job is. And then you accuse that individual of some sort of sin. Of course that person is going to be offended. Like, wait a minute, I didn't do that. I'm someone who, that's a, that's a sin that I am really personally on the watch for. I'm careful to make sure that I don't commit that sin. Christians are like that all the time, and sometimes people who are... Um, enemies of the church or enemies of a Christian, they will sometimes pin that on a Christian. Somebody who's in a, let's say, an emotionally abusive situation. They know that their spouse uh, is particularly sensitive to a particular sin, and then they'll accuse them of that particular sin, even though it's unfounded, even though it's a lie. Uh, What a terrible thing to do, because that individual is is personally aware and sensitive of the sins in their life, and they say, of course not. If, If you think that I've done this terrible thing, I repent. That's Job. Job is saying, I've repented. 
And it seems like I'm not forgiven. It seems like the God in heaven has determined that I'm going to hell. Uh, that's not fair. That's okay. Let me get to the right picture. There, as he's praying before. I really like this picture, by the way, because it reminds me of, uh, of the man that is appealing to God is, you know, he is, he, he has, he's not Brad Pitt in this situation. He is someone who has gotten everything stripped away from him and, uh, is sitting there and going, Lord, why are you treating me as if um, I am not one of your beloved child of God, children of God? I reject my own life. I like at the at the very end, somebody was like, what does that mean? Just this whole idea of Job looking at his own life and saying, I've, I've strived to do what is right. I've strived to live according to to." God's word and to live according to the principles that God has put in place. And even in all of the striving, it means nothing to me. I I, I take no pride in it because God does not answer the question of why he's suffering. To me, that really illuminates that when somebody is going through some difficult times, it can lead them to uh, reject a lot of things which beforehand they would say, this is important to me. When their relationship with God is strained, the only answer is what God gives in his word. The only answer is uh, what who God is and what God has promised, specifically Jesus on the cross. That's the only comfort. The, the why, why does this happen? The reasons that we, we can come up with, sometimes they're, they're not satisfactory. It's like a little child, but why? But why? But why? But why? We're not given those answers a lot of times. And for us to think that that's going to be a comfort a comfort to someone to give them the reason, maybe we should rethink that. Maybe we should say, you know, um, it looks like God doesn't love you. But let me tell you the one reason why I know that God loves you, and that is Jesus on the cross. Verse 22, here is why I say it makes no difference. Blameless or wicked, he brings them all to the same end. So here, Job's uh, friends are looking at Job and saying, God blesses those who follow him and he uh, curses those who reject him. And Job's argument back at them is that it looks like God is arbitrary. It looks like God's justice isn't fair. It seems like the wicked succeed and the believer is punished. It, it doesn't look, it's, it's not matching up. The external circumstances of human beings does not seem to match up with how God feels about them. And that is true, Job says, for me, as myself too. It, my outward circumstances aren't matching up to uh, God and his stated promises in the past that he forgives the those who uh, repent and so on. The whip suddenly kills people and he makes fun of the despair of the innocent. When a land is handed over to a wicked man, God blinds the eyes of its judges. If he is not the one, then who does it? Here is a case of Job. He's not true. It's not true that God wills evil in this world. And I just am flabbergasted that God would preserve this 
uh, complaint of Job from all, from all time. Because that is oftentimes uh, <laughs> when people are suffering, they'll say, God, why are, why are you against me? Why are you, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow this evil thing to happen? As if God has a sinister side to him. As if God suddenly turns, um, turns into someone who he is not. God is a God of justice. Yes. No denying that. And sometimes the justice for the sinner begins here on earth. But who are we? Who are we to say when that happens? Because God's justice is oftentimes not matched with a person's external circumstances. How God views a certain a certain individual is sometimes not matched with uh, their material blessings. That's why, to me, it, sometimes it, it, it's a pet peeve of me when people talk about how the earthly blessings that they have in their church, as if this is the God blessing. I, I understand why someone might say that, uh, that God is, you know, we've, this is, this is all to the glory of God after all. But I, it, I have a caution because God's blessing isn't attached to our external circumstances. Say there's a mission congregation, a city of a hundred thousand, and that mission congregation only has maybe a hundred members. Would you say God is blessing that mission effort or not? Well, it doesn't seem to be very big compared to where they are. That's that's my point. God blesses us based on God shows favor to us based on our faithfulness to His His word. The external circumstances. Uh, are not indicators of God's blessings. Are you faithful to his word? Are you faithful to the administration of the sacraments that are given to you? That's that's how you know uh, whether God is, is, is pleased with you or not, not based on external circumstances such as size or uh, a, a building being completed. Rant over. Let's go to verse 25. My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without bringing any happiness. They glide by like reed boats, like an eagle that swoops down on its prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put on a happy face and smile. <laughs> right? Job wants to be real and doesn't want to be uh, a, a fake person. Even when, then I dread all my pain because I know that you will not equip me. Again, a statement there, not true. God has not... Job's situation is not an indicator of God not forgiving his sin. This is Job's mistake. I have already been declared guilty, so why should I struggle for nothing? If I wash myself with snow, if I cleanse my hands with strong soap, then you will plunge me into the cesspool and my clothes will detest me. For he is not a man as I am, so that I am able to answer him, so that we may meet in court. There is no one to mediate between us, no one who can lay his hand on both of us. No one can make him take his rod away from me so that the dread of him would not fill me with terror. If that happened, I would speak up and not be afraid. But I have no such mediator. I am left on my own. Job wants to bring God to court, wants to have some sort of intermediary, intermediator between himself and God. Sometimes it seems like God is treating uh, his people as if he is against them, as if he has declared them guilty, when in fact the opposite is true. So the writer to the Hebrews uh, really builds on this, and this mediator that we have uh, that is found in Christ. And uh, sometimes when somebody is suffering, and when they think that when they imagine God only in terms of his justice, only in terms of his providence and his care, 
on us and says, how can God possibly love me? I'm looking around me and I'm not seeing it. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us, we've got, we've got someone who can, who employs on our behalf. We have Jesus Christ who is both God and man. Uh, we know that when we look at our external circumstances, it's not an indicator of God's love for us. His word is an indicator of God's love for us. Specifically the cross, where his justice is appeased and his love for us is revealed as he gives his one and only son for us to pay the punishment of all of our sins. So that's what Job's looking for. Looking for an intercessor. Can't find it. Chapter 10. Uh, chapter 10 is really going to go dark. So if you are emotionally gird yourself for some really dark words from Job, where it's going to look like he's teetering on the end of unbelief and teetering on the end of his life. And if that is something that emotionally takes a toil on you, then no coming in. Uh, that's what you're going to get from Job chapter 10. With all my heart, I am weary of my life, so I will express my complaint freely. I will speak from the bitterness of my heart. I will say this to God. Do not condemn me. Tell me why you are pressing charges against me. Is it good that you are oppressing me, that you are rejecting what your hands have made at that same time that you favor the plans of the wicked? And he's accusing God, but then also at the same time he is appealing that God, you are the one that created me. He's appealing to uh, what he has, what God has revealed about himself uh, to Job. That's what he's hanging on to. But at the same time, he's he's looking at, uh, um, it looks like, God, you're against me. So you could see Job really being at the same time saint and sinner. Uh, he is at the, at the same time, he is looking at God and saying, why? At, the, at that very same time, he's looking at uh, God's what God has revealed about himself and holding on to that. But it is, it's dangerously close. He's right at the precipice. He's right at the edge. Do you have eyes made of flesh? Do you see things the way a man does? Are your ways like a man's days? Are your years like a lifespan of a human? Again, Job's like, you're not like us. Uh, you're not, you don't uh, turn on a dime. You don't change over time. You are who you are. He's focusing on that. He's holding on to those promises of God, the word of God that he has. But at the same time, he is very much frustrated. You do, in fact, investigate guilt. And you do search carefully for sin. Although you know that I am not guilty, there is no one who can rescue me from your hand. Your eyes shaped me and made me. And now you swallow me up completely. Please remember that it is you who shaped me like a clay pot. Will you now return me to the dust? Aren't you the one who poured me out like milk, who thickened me like a curd of cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh. You wove me together with bones and tendons. You provided me with life and mercy. And your careful care, watchful care, has guarded my spirit. Again, he's appealing to wonderful qualities of God, God's grace and mercy, and God's providence and, and God's wisdom, putting Job together. Um, and he has instructed Job about what it means to be a person of mercy, because God is merciful. Those attributes of God have been communicated to Job over time. And then, at the same time, <laughs> we have the rest of it. He says, you hid these things in your heart, and you and I know that this is what you had in mind. If I sinned and you were watching me, you would not acquit me of my guilt. If I was wicked, I would be cursed. 
But even if I was righteous, I would I could not lift up my head, because I am filled with shame and aware of my misery. If I lift myself up, you hunt me down like a lion. You turn and display amazing power against me. You produce new witnesses to oppose me, and you become more irritated with me. You attack me with reinforcements. Why then did you bring me out from the womb? I wish I had died, then no eye would have seen me. And we're headed we're heading to darkness here. Um, again, Job isn't right. He's not right, is he? Uh, he is looking at God's power against him and God's uh, the the evil that Job has experienced, and saying as if this is God determining that this should happen. Uh, it is God's will that these bad things happen, and we know from the rest of Scripture it is not God's will that bad things happen. Um, a question was asked in Bible class: Who does Job have to remind himself that? Sometimes bad things happen to good people. That's an excellent question. Like, for example, uh, um, Elijah raising the son's, the widow's son to death, from death. For us, we would say, oh, yeah, that's, that's plausible that the God of the universe would do that because Jesus rose from the dead. But for Elijah in their time, they'd be like, oh, nobody raises people up from the dead. How about in Job's time, God showing goodness to our God, allowing evil to happen to good people. And the best I could come up with is Joseph. Uh, if this is um, after Abraham and after um, after the, uh, the experience of the Israelites down in Egypt, Joseph would be the one. But then if he's a contemporary of Abraham, then Joseph isn't the example of why does bad things happen to good people. You'd have to go all the way back to what? Seth. Oh, I'm sorry. Abel. Abel will be the one. Why did Abel die? What did Abel do? Uh, a bad thing happened to a good person because of bad people. It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's will. So he's got Abel to go, fall back on. But uh, um, again, you and I have lots of scripture that reminds us that Bad things do happen to good people, and God uses them for our good and has a way of converting even terrible things that happen to us, like abuse, uh, and to, to make us stronger because of it. But that in no way, in no way is that God wanting that bad thing to happen. In no way is that God a willing that that bad thing happen. Verses 19 to the end. I wish I had been like someone who never lived, that I would have been carried from womb to the tomb. Don't I have only a few days? Stop, leave me alone so that I may be happy for a short time before I walk into the land of darkness and into the shadow of death, never to return. Into the land of gloom as dark as the shadow of death. Into the land of chaos where even light is darkness. This is dark. Uh, This is Job thinking thinking that God is going to send him to hell. And Job saying, just end it already. Just give me a little bit. If you are going to be so far against me, just give me a little bit of relief now and then send me there. Irrational, isn't it? It's emotional. It's raw. And it's written down for us. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this doesn't portray God 
in the positive light, does it? I didn't. Sorry. Why would God allow this to happen to Job? And uh, why would God allow evil in this world? And it seems like a lot of times people, when evil happens to them, they just go and accuse God. God, why are you letting this happen to me? And the fault is not God. The fault is the human race. We're evil. We're corrupt. We're, we're terrible. We do terrible things to each other. We're living in a world that's corrupt and evil. And we need to be reminded of that again and again. Um. Ukraine, the evil of Ukraine, what's going on, whether it's Ukrainian soldiers doing terrible things or Russian soldiers doing terrible things, um, there's lots of evil going on in our own country. Abortion clinics are still killing babies. There's evil all around us. May God deliver us soon from evil. May he come soon. May he give us comfort when, from his word when we are feeling as if God is actively working against us. That is my prayer for you, as well as you're going through Job chapter 8, as you have gone into the darkness with me here. Uh, hopefully, uh, <laughs> this is pretty depressing stuff, I acknowledge that. But we're getting to the good stuff. Uh, the, the hope will shine that much more brighter when after we've reflected on of the darkness that is in the world and in our human heart, the hope that is uh, is ours for uncertain times, when times seem to be up and down and all over the place, the hope is there and that hope is found in Jesus Christ who lived and died for you. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are reminded today of what suffering does to the human being. The human psyche uh, oftentimes goes to very dark places and oftentimes, sometimes it either believes in you, but then also is teetering on the edge of unbelief. Help us when we are feeling in those times, that when it feels like, when we are feeling like we are teetering on the edge of unbelief, to hold on to your word and your sacraments, which remind us of your great love for us and the, what you have promised uh, to happen to those whom you have saved, that you will deliver us from this world to be with you in heaven forever. And help us, too, uh, to be comforting to those around us who are um, undergoing suffering, who are undergoing pain, who are teetering on the edge of belief and unbelief, that we would give them comfort from your word of who Jesus is and what he has done for them as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So that's uh, Job 8 to 10. Now we will have the, um, the third friend uh, talk to us next time. The third friend, and Zophar is going to talk to us. And we'll see what he has to say next time and what Job will respond. And then we'll go on to round two. And until then, um, God go with you.